Hello Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 68 and in this edition we head back to the local distributor of niche magazines as we return to Comic Club, this time taking a look at the four issue original Wildstorm story of Resident Evil Fire and Ice. My name is Cy and joining me on the panel this week, we say Fire and Ice, he says Thundaga from Firebutton Games, it's Steve Valance. Bolt 3, actually, you know, just, just to be a contrarian. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Do you know what? I genuinely thought about it. If he was in Stars, he'd have an over-the-top Midlands accent and wear a flat cap just to make sure you get it. It's Moist Dowlet, a.k.a. James. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Also, by the way, just so everybody knows, this comic did it before Aliens did. And I'll explain more later. Okay. <laughs> And just today, he expressed high positivity regarding the state of Resident Evil after his experience with Remake 4. We'll see how that fares after this episode. From Steamforge Games, it's Sherwin Matthews. Yes. <laughs> Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for a full list and the chance to create bonus first aid spray content shout out to our latest patreon thank you to shotgun sinner x5 <laughs> shotgun with a five sinner with a five x you know who you are thank you to you thank you to all of our patrons of course for continuing to support first aid spray um in the last few weeks we've put out quite a bit of content all across the board really which is always fun over on patreon our mastermind tier backers have early access to the latest episode of tier death experience where we ranked every outfit of claire redfield's wardrobe in the ongoing series of that and also so we've also have we've got a new show <laughs> we sort of talked about it we sort of teased it on the last episode um but now it's kind of more official you'll have seen it in your podcast feed a moment of relief which is our little sideshow where we can talk for an hour or less about sort of whatever's interesting us at the time our first episode that is out to everyone, if you haven't listened to it yet, do go back and either listen to it on your podcast feed or you can find a, a video version of every episode of the show will be on YouTube. Uh, the first episode, we talked about the games from 2023 that we're looking forward to. Meanwhile, the second episode is out now for Mastermind Patreons, where Steve Berger and Kelsey discussed the state of the remakes and the remakes moving forward. You know, are we going to get an RE1, an RE5, so on and so forth. Nice, healthy discussion. Also... Out on our YouTube is the latest episode of Now That's What I Call Survival Horror, my top 10 tracks from the soundtrack for Silent Hill 2. And to celebrate James, to celebrate, celebrate James, to celebrate Alien Day, it's the same thing, James put together a video uh, discussing the possibility if Umbrella became Wayland Utani. So go check that out as well. It's been a little while since we did an editorial thing, so it was always nice. Uh, that's a slew of stuff. Steve, take us into the news, would you kindly? Would you kindly? I can't talk today. Just because you are so nicely. So our first piece of news, Resident Evil Death Island had a new trailer last month. They've got everyone talking. What do we think? <laughs> except, except us, apparently, because we forgot to include it. Um, yeah. James, how are you feeling about uh, the Death Island, the new trailer? Because, yeah, it's the not just... We knew that Leon, Chris and Jill were going to be in it, obviously. And there was 
reference to Rebecca being in it, and now Claire's in it as well. How do you feel about how Death Island appears to be shaping up as the Avengers of Resident Evil, as lots of people have christened it? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, like, I've been looking at a lot of videos today, and in the in the descriptions people have been saying this is the successor to Vendetta, and also Infinite Darkness, and the comics um, as well. Um, and it's so cool to see Rebecca again, and she's actually fighting, finally. Mm. Like, she's actually a combatant, and we all know... Well, most of us know that she can do it. She could do it. We've seen her in Resident Evil Zero, um, and it's just great. There there is one funny scene in the trailer where she... They try and do that Avengers slow-mo thing, and everyone else looks great. But Rebecca's kind of sliding on a one-plane... You know, she just looks really strange as she's sliding (laughs) underneath this tentacle in that trailer. Um... I, am I excited for it? Only for Rebecca. Um, <laughs> because the CGI movies have not impressed me um, over the past seven years. Um, yeah. And, like, they, yeah, they just haven't really given me anything to get excited about. It's nice to see Rebecca, a combatant, but I, I do think that when I watch it, I think there's going to be some soul that's not going to be in it for me. And I'm not normally, like, a naysayer, so there's going to be some soul... That's not, that's in the games that isn't in the CGI's, and I've always felt that with the CGI's they're missing something. Mm. Yeah, that that's for another podcast, though. Yeah, we haven't really covered too many of them. Obviously, we did Infinite Darkness last year, year before, whenever it came out, um, and I think the general consensus on that was a resounding meh at best. Um, so it is very easy to get hard in the shell about these CGI things. That being said, there is a small nostalgic part of me and it's so pathetic to look at this like 10 years after the Avengers came out and go, look at them all standing together for the first time. (laughs) That's kind of neat, but also, come on. For a random CGI movie is the first time this happens. It's a bit weird. Uh, Sherwin, how are you feeling about Death Island? Where's Barry? (laughs) You know, you're not wrong. Yes. That's it. That's all I've got to say. Where's Barry? <laughs> I'll get excited when Barry turns up. Do you know what? That's that's completely understandable. That would be he's going to do an RE three and turn up right at the end. Surely, surely, then it's not going to happen, is it? Hey, say si, Sherry's going to go on the radio saying, "On your left." Oh, don't, don't, don't do me <laughs> like this, um, Steve. How are you feeling about Death Island? Uh, yeah, pretty much echoing what everyone else is saying. Like you know, it's it's missing Sherry. It's missing Barry. I, I do hope for a. Something akin to that—that that would be fantastic. Although I get the feeling that's a little bit too. Are we are we optimistic there? Um, I, honestly, I'm kind of I'm kind of looking forward to it, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because compared to Infinite Darkness and Vendetta and all the other films, they've been straightforward in showing you there's going to be a lot of action set pieces, and we're getting actual dialogue yeah. as opposed to snippets of random nonsense. It feels like it's more coherently a better put together set of trailers. Um, although. Villain man, whose name I have no idea, just seems like uh, we couldn't get Daniel Fabron, so we've got Daniel Fabron at home, um, <laughs> voiced by Crispin Freeman, no less, who already did a CGI villain in um, the first one, Degeneration, who was Frederick Downey. Um, mm. And obviously, can't be the same guy, he's not got grey hair, unless he's been hitting the just for men. Uh, yeah, <laughs> honestly, I, I don't get why we've got underwater liquors when we could have had gammas, but I'll take it. Mm. Yeah, it, yeah, I'm actually kind of excited. Uh, I, call, call me strangely optimistic. I, I think it's going to be dumb. I think it's not going to make much sense. But yeah, having the Resident Evil characters all meeting up, sans Ethan, uh, for the first time <laughs> will be kind of neat. That said, I kind of wish they'd all met up in a game first. 
Yes, that is not... Yeah, that is something that I agree with, basically. It seems a little bit weird, especially because, you know, games can be as long as they need to be, whereas films, this is going to be like an hour and a half long, almost certainly. So everyone's going to be fighting for screen time, so all of the people on Twitter that already argue about who the best character is are going to have a field day with this thing. Um, Not to mention that they have to share that screen time with a new villain, as you pointed out there. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to be sceptical, but, yeah, I guess we'll just see what happens. I think the film is out on July the 7th, so we're not overly far away at this point. And uh, as if leading in from the previous news story, just this week we find out that Resident Evil Death Island is getting a comic book, and it starts this week. Yes, I think it was tweeted out today as we are recording this, maybe yesterday, um that there is going to be a tie-in comic. There's no real detail on what this is, uh, whether it's like a straight-up adaptation, which seems entirely plausible, or it's a new story. But looking at the image that we've got, or the couple of images that got tweeted out, it looks like it is uh, an adaptation of the film, which is what makes it so weird that it is literally starting this Friday, um, a month and a half out from the film's release. Obviously, the film will be out before the comic finishes, as is the way with these things. Um, but yes, coming from Comic Hue on May 19th, the first issue. No idea about a worldwide release. Of course, we have to assume that this is just Japan for now, but obviously we'll keep everyone in the loop. Uh, Steve, how are you feeling about more Resident Evil comics? An appropriate episode, perhaps, to talk about Yeah, it? Uh, to honestly, I really want to dig into them now. Like, having... We're going to get to the end of the Wildstorm run soon enough, and seeing the more, dare I say, polished or in line with continuity stuff has always been intriguing, and this one looks to be a lot of fun. Uh, the artwork for the the kind of survivalist standoff with all the characters doing their best gun poses with, you know, both the Redfields dual-wielding, Jill getting ready to kill somebody, and Leon looking confused as to why he's got a handgun. It's neat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I, I'm going to obviously wait until the film drops, and I think that's probably the best way to go. But obviously, if this is like a promotional run-up thing, it may have a prologue or whatever. I'm not right. sure what's the content of the story yet, so I'm kind of, yeah, I'm yes. a bit in the wings. Yeah, we, we don't know a whole lot about what this is, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Are we going to get spoilers for the film on the timeline because of the comic? Who knows? But there might be some interesting stuff that's in it that's not in the film in the long run obviously we'll cover it eventually it's all interesting as well because infinite darkness's comic book is still going on like issue two just arrived for me a few weeks ago after months of delay um and issue three is apparently coming out this month but we'll see um so there's going to be two ongoing sort of comic series at the time uh are they the same company making them just to... I don't. I don't believe so. No, I don't, I'm pretty sure this is more of a manga, whereas the other one is a bit more of a traditional Western comic book. Okay. Um, so yeah, it seems like a separate thing. But uh, James, any interest in uh, Death Island comic book? I would be more interested if I knew I could get my hands on it. That's which fair. I don't think I'm going to be able to. Um, my I only get my comics really from my local LCS. So like I. I, and he's had such a problem trying to get the Infinite Darkness comics. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a I think it's a it's a, a symptom of like the pandemic, etc. But yeah, printing is 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 in is in a bad state at the moment. I, I love the the cover, the covers mm-hmm. are cool. They're really cool. But yeah, I, I, as Steve says, I'd I need to watch the yeah. Um, 
yeah, really, really nice covers. Um, other than that, I, I, yeah, I, sorry, I'm being a real Debbie Downer today. I'm not that excited because there isn't really much to show, <laughs> and it's like I, yeah, not really much to talk on. No, that's completely fair. Uh, show in any thoughts on the comic adaptation of Death Island, or is it yet more? Where's uh, Mary? I, I love the way you start laughing, <laughs> asking that question. <laughs> Just no, it, I'm sure it'd be. If that's your thing, cool. I'm sure it's very exciting. It's not mine. <laughs> fair. Okay, cool. That'll do it for the news. Let's jump into our main topic of discussion, which is a return to comic club with Resident Evil Fire and Ice. And now, reading the file, Stuart's Valediction from Resident Evil Revelations 2, Peter D, who you can find on YouTube via the link in the description. Master Alex, it has truly been an honor and a blessing to have served under you these past few decades. I consider myself lucky to have been witness to your scientific genius and your vision of the future. The world does need order, and I believe it is you and only you who is capable of accomplishing this feat. I, as well as the other researchers, are all bonded together in this belief. To ensure your survival, we have worked tirelessly to complete the transfer procedure. The vessel we have selected is without fault. I have every confidence that the procedure will go flawlessly. To come this far, we've had to make countless sacrifices. My faith in your vision is resolute. So I prepared myself to shoulder the mental and emotional burdens of the sins that I would be committing. But I do believe that before your plan can succeed, we must first atone for our sins. So I have taken the necessary steps for atonement. The remaining researchers have all been dealt with, and I too shall soon follow. This will also help you to perform the procedure without any distractions. On behalf of those who have served faithfully by your side, we are grateful for the opportunity to help you accomplish your ambitions. Eternally, your loyal servant, Stuart. Okay, so we've covered a little bit of Wildstorm in the past. Obviously, we did their sort of first five-issue run a little while back now of sort of anthology stories. Uh, it went down successfully enough that, you know, they've done a whole bunch. Well, they did a whole bunch since. This is the second part of sort of four Wildstorm sagas. Um, and this one was released bi-monthly between December 2000 and May 2001. What's interesting about this is that it is a continued sort of story from the anthology that we had before. Various bits and pieces have kind of coalesced into something, including the sort of main running story from the last few issues about... Um, Chris and company going to Europe a little bit, but because of uh, licensing agreements, they couldn't use the game characters so much. They had to make an original cast of characters, so we have Star's Charlie team. 
the story was written by Chris Oprisco and Ted Adams, with art by Lee Bermejo and Mark Irwin. I think all of these people, or the vast majority of them, worked on that first run of Wildstorm stuff. Um, especially the writers, this is them carrying on that tale. So, you know, that's nice as well. So it really does kind of feel like it carried on a little bit. Um, before we get into the actual story and breaking down each comic book... On that note, talking about the team, let's talk about the art style of Fire and Ice. My assumption is that none of us have read this before because none of us read the other comics, so it'd be a little bit weird otherwise. So I don't think we need to cover that. Let's just start breaking it down. Um, Steve, how did you feel about the art for Fire and Ice, this four-issue little series? Honestly, it at times it feels stronger than its predecessor, but other times it feels dirtier and messier. Like... I don't. I'm not that well versed in comics, as I'm pretty sure we all know, right? But there are moments of you know moments where they compose a really good shot that I've got to color shading, and mm. it's you know conveying the action very well. And then other times it's blurry, it's messy, it's manic, and yeah, I don't know how I feel about that to be honest with you. Uh, some of the faces as well become wildly inconsistent. You know, particularly one character, the um, the Thai Australian gentleman, Quan Williamson, who we'll probably get into a bit later. He seems to have his face shift upon the fly from page to page. Uh, it's it's a bit strange for me on that one. Like, I don't dislike it. You know, there are moments where it seems to be a bit 2000 AD or Judge Dreddish, maybe even a bit Tank Girlish, but yeah, it's it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about where I'm at with it as well. Like, I think that it's good that it is, along with the writers, that the art is consistent throughout this. It's very important because it's not an anthology of random stories. It is a continuing plot, so it makes sense that they're telling an arcing narrative. And it looks and it looks mostly the same. I will agree there is some weird stuff in there. Um, and yeah, one of the big negatives that I had coming out with this is I found a fair amount of the action. It's kind of hard to follow. I had to relook over pages to just be like, what is... Even from the offset, I was like, what is going on in this whole little section? Some parts I never figured out, but I just kind of went, do you know what? Whatever. I don't suppose it matters all that much. There's plenty more action to come. Uh, Sherwin, how do you feel about the art style of Fire and Ice? Uh, it's interesting. I, I found, started off, I don't want to say strong, but started off okay. And then by the last issue was just not good. Um, for mm. me, there was a real deterioration in terms of the actual quality. And, and a lot of what, I get to echo what the other guys have said. I, I just found, you know, face details and just haphazard lines and kind of random body parts being, you know, like larger or smaller or whatever else. There's a lack of consistency in the artwork, um, which really just kind of starts really hammering home by the time you've, uh, by the time you get to issue four. So, um, and there's also, and we will get to this, but there's some really jarring color choices and scene changes and stuff in this. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do get that. Um, I do think that even though some of the character portions and stuff like that do get a little bit funny, uh, one thing that I would say that I did find positive about it is that the characters are still mostly identifiable as we go, especially some of the ones that have a bit more design in them in the first place. Um, and I like that they've all got so the important thing for you know artwork like this. So they've all got distinguishable silhouettes. Like, even when they're just kind of like shadowed versions of themselves somewhere in the back of a corridor and it's just their shadow, 
you've got you know fields she has a bandage around her arm so you can see that already like that's not colored in a certain way so you can tell that it's her someone's got a mohawk really obvious i mean it's the year 2000 right so it was a thing but again it makes it easy to identify characters so i appreciate that part of it at least um james how did you feel about the art style uh i yeah uh not much else to be said really there's like at the beginning there is a really awesome two-page spread where you get mm. a really quick kind of flashback with you get chris you get this you get chris jill claire get this really cool kind of uh dissection of uh the tyrant as well yeah. um a lot of detail been put into that two-page spread it was very cool um but yeah like kwan williamson just like you know one one page looking like uh i don't play street fighter the green guy from street fighter blanca blanca and then the next page just having like he you know someone had put a bucket of water over his head you know it's, <laughs> it was it was very strange um i was concerned and this will probably go into the kind of story but i was concerned that they were putting too many characters because when i when i'm reading a comic it's all it's visual right and you're also trying to build a story in your mind while it's going. And if you have too many characters on the panel at once, it can get very confusing. Mm. Um, and I was concerned that that was going to be a problem. But they did kind of fix it. Um, yeah, that kind of goes into into artwork. Because there was just so many... I was like, I'm not going to be able to tell who all these people are. I'm not going to be able to remember who all these people are. Like, um, But I did eventually, uh, much to my chagrin. <laughs> I can tell where this episode's going already. Um, yeah, I agree. The that sort of two spread, uh, two page spread thing that you were talking about is really worth looking at uh, for anyone who hasn't read it. And obviously, what with comic book episodes, same with books, we've got to try our best to explain what we what we saw without the benefit of everyone else having the same visual aid. Um, but yeah, that two page spread sort of flashback thing is probably the highlight of the whole thing for me. Um, visually speaking, it's it looks good artwork wise and the layout is really good as well and there's there are a few pages throughout it that i think have really cool panel layouts like where some stuff will go across like the first panel will go across both page one and page two like the left and the right and then we'll go down from there it's like oh it's kind of neat like steve i don't have tons of comic book experience so i don't get to see i don't know how common that kind of thing is but i certainly don't see it all that often so you know there are bits and pieces that were like oh it's kind of neat but yeah overall not massively impressive i get is the general feeling um, so yeah, I guess we'll get <laughs> we'll move on into story, um, and we'll flip through this issue by issue. There is only four, so it won't take all that much amount of time um, for a little bit of setup. Stars Charlie team is a Charlie team of stars. That's basically it. Um, we're, we're kind of acting on a little bit like book logic, where stars is a bit bigger. It feels like not just like these two groups in Raccoon City. It feels more like a proper organization. But we don't get a lot of backstory in it that we didn't get in Wildstorm's previous comic books. And yeah, that they're, they're going on missions and we get a whole bunch of them and we'll just sort of go from there. Uh, Sherwin, how did you feel about issue one? So, rolls up sleeves. Um, I think the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what your headers are, so I don't know if theme or uh, feel for, is, is one of the later ones, and if it is, then I'll, I'll shorten this a bit. But No, feel free to go in on it. I think the problem that this entire series suffered from is it feels so very disconnected 
from from the series's survival horror roots and mm. it feels so very much like a wasted opportunity to do something genuinely quite interesting within the world i mean we all know what resident evil is resident evil at the point where this is yeah where this comes out is is a very known entity it's not something mm-hmm. where people have to be educated on what a resident evil game is now you might do that because yeah there's so many different entry points into it but back go back to then and it's not everyone knows what it is and it creates this this universe which has so much ground to cover it that's needed in exposition and everything else that it almost creates itself this massive burden that it can't ever fulfill because it's trying to introduce a whole new team of stars operatives it's trying to introduce where it's set it's trying to introduce why they're doing what they're doing it's trying to tell you the actual story it's trying to just do so much work whereas what it could have done is just zoomed in much more to something which has more traditional horror vibes to it and actually the audience doesn't mm-hmm. care about a whole bunch of that stuff because think about the original resident evil none of us really cared about why there were zombies in the mansion when you first step into it none of us really care about the backstories of any of the characters while we're in there none of us really care about where the zombies are coming from or whatever else all we care about is what's actually happening in front of us if you have a strong enough visual presence if you have a strong enough story that's unfolding all of that can happen instead there's this smorgasbord of information at the start and so much of it just feels so um, jarringly wrong or feels incongruous with with Resident Evil like the intro to this is like an episode from G.I. Joe <laughs> it got, really is it, it's, it's an episode of G.I. Joe and you've got all the stereotypes and they're bad like that you can expect you've got Falcon who's the leader you know you've got the Mexican tracker who's actually got Amerindian roots and that's why they're a tracker because obviously Amerindians right You've got the Australian guy. We can't really understand him, and he's crazy. Apparently, he's face shifting as well. You have the guy with a mohawk, who's like the computer guy, because of course he is. And then you have someone who's got, oh, I've just got a sixth sense of when Umbrella's involved in things. That just means he walks around constantly telling everyone, I think Umbrella's involved in this, and nine times out of ten, he's right, because they're in Umbrellaville. Yeah, it just. Because <laughs> they're in a Resident Evil comic. Exactly. It just <laughs> feels cheap for what Stars is. Like, it mm. takes Stars and just makes. Like it just makes stars just feel kind of crap. Like it really does. I've got no other way of saying that. And I think this for me is such a massive swing and a miss in terms of the the, the real issue is at some stage, and I'm not gonna say Capcom did this. I don't think they did. But people who were creating Resident Evil stories started thinking that Resident Evil fans are stupid, and they started really dumbing down what Resident Evil content looked like and was. Because we weren't originally, we were just playing a game and we were finding out bits and pieces and intricacies and everything else. It was never Dark Souls, but it was always something where you had to think about... Like, yeah, look at the look at the original. You've got this really goofy intro with, don't open that door and so on. But then also you've got Keeper's Diary. Yeah, you've got... Mm-hmm. There's a real attention to detail and stuff that you go off the beaten track and you will find Easter eggs and so on. This is a prime example of what happens when someone goes, oh, it's Resident Evil. It's just basically just like, you know... We go kill zombies. It's just kind of you know, it, it's it's the lowest common denominator, and I think that drags it down so much, uh, and it's really obvious right from the go with this. Yeah, the whole the intro to this is it's funny that you say GI Joe because it feels like a toy commercial. Like here's this one, this is what he can do, and then they can lead off to the next one. That's what they can do. So yeah, it, it felt like that. It felt like the knockoff toy version of Stars. 
Uh, like it's almost if you squint a bit, you could almost be like, yeah, I could see maybe how some of these are stars, but they're all so caricature that it's just too much for me. Um, there are parts about it that I kind of enjoy the way they did it, where they do kind of like have the backstory on one, and then someone makes a quip, and then we get the backstory on another. That felt a little bit TV show or whatever. Um, but we got like two sets of intros for all the characters as well. They did it once when they were having a fight, and then they did it again basically when they got back to base. Um, yeah, super weird that intro. Really, really odd. Um, James, how did you feel about issue one? Where do I start? <laughs> uh, probably on the first page where I get introduced to three characters, like at the same time. Like, <laughs> I, I do, oh, it's it's wild. It's like you know that's the thing that I was worried about earlier on was like, like all of these characters are being thrown at you, and yes, it did like feel at the beginning. I was like, oh, okay, they're going for the Resident Evil one like, title screen kind of thing, and they're turning it up to 20, mm. you know? Um, so I wasn't too bad. But then it went on for, like, three quarters of the magazine. Yeah. Right? And on and on and on. And it's like, you know, there was, like, some other stuff in there that was uh, that was um, not PC either, and mm -hmm. they didn't do their research. Um, I literally, all I needed... I mean, you know, this is in year 2000. You know, they have books available to them, right? But you don't need to put uh, Native American and Mexican people when it comes to folks that live in Arizona, right? They apparently, I, I looked into this this Native American tribe, like that they're that that she was supposedly descended from, right? And they're the Hopi people, and they have like they they have roots to to Mexico. So there's no reason to say, oh, she's half Native American and Mexican. You don't mm -hmm. need to say that. You just, you know, I know I'm just being nitpicky with that, but it just felt very buzzwordy. And I'm sh when it came out at the time, it would have been like nothing. But when I look back at it now, I go, ugh, that's not cool. Yeah. Um, like I, yeah. Uh, when it comes to the story, just as Sherwin said, it's disjointed. I was having a real hard time keeping up until they split. When they split, I was like, I actually took like a mental breather. Like, I went, oh, like my brain just kind of like took a breath. And I was like, okay, maybe this will improve. Because <laughs> um, now I can actually concentrate on two stories with less characters rather than focusing on one story that's got all of this huge host of characters. Um, yeah, I, I also put down in my notes that this, the beginning of this, <laughs> I now. Uh, don't blame Paul W.S. Anderson as much. As, <laughs> because I think maybe Mr. Anderson, sure, a bit of this. He, he looked at that and he, this comic and, you know, maybe they said, yeah, this is an example of what we want Resident Evil to be, you know? And, you know, I, I don't know. I looked in like kind of the, 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 blur the blurbs at the end and they were saying that they didn't really get much say from Capcom and what they were going to mm. do. They just wanted to create stories. But I do feel like he's probably looked at this and gone, oh, sweet, this is Resident Evil. Yeah. Oh, Capcom <laughs> don't care what we do. Write stories. Cool, got it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I've made the money. Great. Let's just keep going. Mm. Um, yeah, and that like continues throughout. The first... I'm not kidding here, folks. The first comic, the first issue, right, is 
like 75% of them introducing themselves, right? While they're killing a circus of zombies. Yep. Literally like, a circus of zombies. It's 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 crazy. It's wild. Like it's and and it's not exciting. Like you you think oh there's this new there's this uh, Charlie team of stars and they are fighting a circus of zombies with elephants and acrobats and uh, bearded ladies and like all you know the typical the clowns the typical stuff you find like at old oldie kind of circuses. And you think that sounds really exciting and very cheesy, but it just didn't work because mm. you're focusing on like too many things at once. You're focusing on backstory of the characters. You're focusing on you trying to get uh, familiar with the characters. You're trying to focus on what's happening in the background. You're also trying to focus on a subplot because they're talking about Umbrella. I'm pretty sure Umbrella was the only word that they were given they were allowed to say when it came to <laughs> anything. There may be Umbrella in the previous characters, right? But yeah, uh... You could look at this first issue as well as the others, and you could just say it was something else, to be honest. Like, if you mm-hmm. just put... Take the other, dialogue out. Yeah, if you just, like, put something else into the dialogue, like, uh, it's not Umbrella, it's uh, not Bad Pharma Company, you know, or, <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, you could put whatever in there, and it didn't feel Resident Evil, even though I saw what they were trying to do. Like, I, I really did see what they were trying to do, but it was too much. For characters we didn't care about. Mm. Like, you know, you, they kept on trying to reference you to previous editions, right? And it was like, you know, uh, what's his name? The ginger guy, pretty boy, they kept calling him. Uh, Patrick, right? Mm. Kept on saying, you know, he survived the zoo and, you know, etc. It's like, but we barely got to know that guy in that issue. Like, yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, so that was the only... You're only going to give us, like, that issue, which was only about seven to eight pages long plus like and it's mostly him just running away and trying not to die and then like this where it's just talking about his tragic backstory but i don't care about the character because he hasn't been fleshed out and Mm -hmm. at the same time he's in the middle of all these other like big supposedly big personalities that also have tragic backstories (laughs) (laughs) every single one of them every single one of them yeah. So that that is issue one, guys. Like it's just them introducing themselves to you as the viewer, and it's dumb. I think it's really funny what you said about the movie because it's obviously very relevant. Because in issue one, like as they yeah. do with many comic books, they have like a reader's letters sort of thing in the back. And in issue one, someone asks them about the film, and they go, "We don't know. We don't have any information about the movie." Um, <laughs> and then by issue two, they're like, "Here's a bunch of information about the movie. We're so excited." So it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> Um, if I was going to give this some positives, because I know we're being really uh, down on it, I do feel like the choice of clown zombies and at the end, sort of Day of the Dead celebrators as zombie fodder, that makes sense. I like that. That kind of works. Yeah. It works for me. It's, I wouldn't say it's over-inventive, but it's it's a good but look. How, how long like, did we know. spend on that? No, exactly. The Day of the Dead one was just like ridiculous <laughs> as well, because it bleeds into issue two and you still don't get any more, but... Um, there are a few cool panels I pasted it in admin chat when I was reading it there's a section where they blow up an elephant for some reason in one panel like literally <laughs> this, it's just suddenly on fire and then it's gone it's like, that is absolute madness um, yeah this issue is kind of madness really it, it somehow manages to drag for ages and yet also breeze because nothing really happens um, Steve <laughs> now we've all gone in on it how do you feel about issue one uh, so I can't remember the name of the campaign, but there's a Left 4 Dead campaign, Left 4 Dead 2 campaign, where they go to a circus, and throughout the entirety of the opening few pages, that mixed with 
the opening text of X Men is pretty much the entire vibe. Like, you know, Falcon, Patrick Brady, Jesse Alcorn. You know, it's just all character introduction and no substance. The action, while it's big and bombastic, is also flat. Like, you've got a man dressed as a Fallout cosplayer with a Tesla gun and you made it boring. That's that's amazing, really. Uh, mm. I, I, much like everyone else has said, it's more character setup and stuff for people we've never met, which obviously I get why that in, in terms of, like, you can't use the stars characters to make your own up. But they're all, like, somewhere between X-Men, 80s action heroes, and generic super, you know, super characters. Like, you know, you a hacker man who's literally on in the middle of a zombie horde playing with his computer, for example. It's, yeah, it's... It, it didn't do much for me. Like I, the, the the zombie circus, really. Like you know, I wish we'd actually seen like a bit of build up. Like maybe they walk in there, they're doing yeah. normal circus form of things, and then it all goes a bit crazy. Supposed to, there we go, page two, fight. Um, the the opening page, the the, the very like the first page, you peel it back, like actually has a hint of terror in it, and then it's squandered by giant action set piece because uh, it just cuts away, and that's a shame. Uh, and yeah, I, much like everybody else, the Day of the Dead stuff, which appears at the very end of this comic, was probably the most compelling bit where you have like people dressed in makeup. Are they really zombies? Oh no, they are actually really zombies, not people dressed in makeup. That little hook is great, but until then, it's just violence and setup. It's a little <laughs> bit. Uh, it's not really. It's not my cup of tea. It didn't set a good tone for the start for me. Mm. Speaking of hooks as well, and I don't know. You know, by now, these things are very tired. Maybe they were less tired back then, but I kind of doubt it. There is a couple of things in issue one, story setup-wise, that are just, like, so obvious. Like, they just pick the two obvious things. So they go to the circus or whatever, and at the end they find an umbrella scientist who basically is like, ha-ha, we knew you were coming here. So implying that there's a mole. Also, the character of Fields, who's not on the job with them, comes back. She sort of unravels the bandage on her, heart, her arm. She's infected, dun, dun, dun. So the hooks for the story are there is a mole and one of us is infected and not telling anyone. It's like, that is the most obvious stuff you could have possibly picked. Some of that's in Resident Evil 1 and you're just doing it again. <laughs> like, the mole, yeah. which they give away pretty much like four or Instantly. five pages in if you just read the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered about that as well. Yeah, and the other one. Well, we'll get to the other one. Um, okay, that'll do it for issue one then. Let's move on to issue two. Uh, <laughs> this is where describing the story of it is going to be really hard because I read it two nights ago and I now no longer remember already. <laughs> uh, so carrying on from the Day of the Dead stuff, um, there is, yeah, who would have thought some action set pieces where things blow up? Um, Steve, how did you feel about issue two? Uh, well, uh, the the interesting hook we've immediately switched straight to Nebraska, and you know, the uh, the our superheroes are now going on jet skis, fighting throw you know, cast offs from Altered Beast. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting that we as the that. opener. It's uh, yeah, different. So for the for those who are literally listening and haven't read the book right now, Charlie Timo in two locations: Bay of Fire, South America, and Ice, Nebraska, and literally all they're looking for is Umbrella Labs, and one side has. You know, zombies that are themed after Day of the Dead, and the other has altered beast monsters. That's literally all that really happens. They have a big kerfuffle, and then I believe they get kidnapped on the uh, the Nebraskan side. And the if I, oh, I'm just gonna hang on, let me let me be a bit professional. I'm just gonna quickly go for it. You go for that. 
I just want to point out when Steve says altered beast, he literally means the kind of BOWs that the internet would be really horny for if they saw them these days. <laughs> it's literally muscle-bound god bodies with a bear head, a wolf head, a walrus head. One is a whale, <laughs> which is incredibly weird. And also, the best part of the comic book, James, I know you agree with this because you lost your mind when you saw it. There's a penguin with dinosaur wings that shows up. <laughs> oh, God. I've just so I've just skimmed it. The entire action in South America is so brown and grey. I couldn't figure out what was going on. They just find a secret <laughs> code for some ruins. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm so off the... penguin monsters though. <laughs> for sure. Um, James, uh, how did you feel about? Oh, sorry. Go on. I'm just getting the image now. Sorry. One second. <laughs> in that case, Showin, how did you feel about issue two? Do you know? <clears throat> Let, let's do the negative bits. So, at this point, it became like. The bit where, oh, let's split up the teams. Well, why? <laughs> but why? Why have you split up a team? They're, they're a combat team. They're designed to work together. Let's split mm. them up. It just seemed like they never, that never happened with Stars Alpha and Bravo team. There was no, like, rush or anything that no. said they needed to go to both potential lab locations. Yeah, you've just kind time. of just halved your team, which is built around this specialist team that all have a dedicated role within a combat unit. So effectively, <laughs> you've massively reduced their combat capability by doing this. And this is where it starts to be really jarring, cutting between the two, because exactly what Steve said. One is, you know, in an ice field, and then the other one is in this, well, as far as I can work out, some sort of quick-sound-induced brownness, which is just rubbish. <laughs> and it kind of becomes really jarring switching between the two because there's no visual identity to it. Think about Resident Evil games. You start off in one location, you go through that one location, then you go to a new location, and then you stay there for a bit, and then you go to the third location or whatever and so on. But you have a visual identity to where you are, so you're not trying to work out... Where am I? What's going on? And that's exactly what every single panel in this thing was doing. Like, it starts off, right, I'm reading this. Where am I? What's going on? Because it just seems so combined with the the poor um, the poor drawing just meant that it was really hard to understand what's going on. So that aside, I loved the stupidity of the different monsters. It was like, <laughs> it was literally like reading... Uh, Gaiva manga again. Um, there's <laughs> there's a hammerhead shark bro. There's exactly what you said. There's walrus bro. I thought it was a chonky dragon. I'm happy to go with whatever that thing was. It's amazing the way it's just <laughs> winging around in the background in one of the panes. Like at this point, you said that there wasn't enough inventiveness to this. There's so much inventiveness to this episode in the <laughs> no, worst way. On. And I don't mean I don't mean so bad it's good. So bad it's bargain basement bad. Like it's just so so poor. But there's a there's a sort of there's a Schadenfreude gene in me which just, just starts laughing stupid <laughs> stupidly at this stuff. Um, because it was it was just so guyver. Like if someone suddenly started talking about how they've got bio lasers built into their shoulders, I'd be well happy. <laughs> I mean, yes. I I will say it's not like I had a terrible time reading this. It wasn't so horrifically bad that I was like bored. Yes, I agree. I was certainly confused in places, but I was kind of laughing at the just like yeah, the quite literally altered beast transformations. I'm so glad we la all landed on that because that is literally all it was. I was like this at this point. James, you said it yourself. We take, you know, when you were saying take all the dialogue out, it's basically whatever it wants to be. This is really so far away from anything that you're just like, you know what, whatever. 
let's just go with it and see what happens. I did like that there was something akin to a puzzle clue in this one where they have to look at a painting and they get like a, a word. I don't think that ever actually went anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well they couldn't get the puzzle the that's the problem <laughs> they just came they up it. they can figure out yeah they just they winded up blowing up the door or whatever didn't they yeah Ugh, yeah it's fine <laughs> any more thoughts on issue two james oh yeah um so oh i, I buy a booster penguin by the way that's what we need like, in the next issue <laughs> <laughs> uh, to all my, to all the two Guyver fans out there, it's just me and Sharon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I was going to mention the thing about the painting. What I found funny about that is that they just like randomly found it, and the art was so bad on that panel that I had no idea what they were looking at. I I thought it was a hole in a wall, and there was you know I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and then they had to explain it. Like that that's what's so bad, but also I can't lie, I was laughing so hard. So mm-hmm. I was having a fun time reading this. Mm-hmm. Like I can't not say that because I was, but I, they had to like throw exposition at me to understand what was happening by issue two. <laughs> like, you know, that out of four. That's really bad. Um yeah, like I, I, I understand also the criticism of the splitting the party. It helped me, but at the same time, it didn't really help these guys, did it? Like mm-hmm. they, they really got their, as Steve would say, their poop uh, pushed in. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the oh, just when the see when there was there's like a really cool panel where there um, where um, Cardenas and uh, Quan are uh, phoning in. And they're talking to each other over the radio, and then there's like a cut, and you see like the, the, <laughs> the the wereman, yeah, wereman wolf, right in the in the cave, and I thought, oh, cool, that's cool. Like, are we gonna mm. get like a gonna get like you know zombie werewolves or some kind of like kind of some kind of basis origins there? No, no, we're just gonna go completely wild. We're just gonna do a orca buff buff orca buff. <laughs> <laughs> Buff Wolf, uh, Buff. I caught for some reason, maybe because I was, um, I was very tired last night when I read this. But I put Captain Walrusher <laughs> for some reason, just because they're in Siberia. Um, there's. I just want to point out all the funny bits because I, I given up on actually talking about this issue. But yeah, the uh, the funniest bit for me was I think it was Quan. No, it wasn't because Quan wasn't there. It was Patrick. Um, was running away and the penguin <laughs> used his beak to grab his leg. <laughs> yeah. And tripped him That's over. Peng- That's what penguins do, obviously. I was laughing so hard. Like, I just was imagining this penguin on the ground just flapping, doing the <laughs> penguin angel. You know, and Patrick, pretty boy, just runs by and he clamped down. You you just imagine that scene in front of you. Ah, it was so funny. Just comedy genius. Um, I did find, though, that the uh, there was a bit... I think it was at the end of this one. It might be the end of the next one, but... um, There were some cool transitions. There were some cool transitions from character to... Well, from scene to scene. Mm. So from, like, the the fire to the ice, for instance, and the ice back to the fire. Uh, Sometimes it got lost in translation... And I I forgot where I was for a second, um, as well, um, yeah. But 
I like to say something positive, and that's probably the only bit. Other than just it being reading this, I was treating it like it was a comedy because it was making me laugh so much. Yeah, that, that is completely fair. There is some hilarious um, sort of wonderful circumstance. They blow up this random town um, in Mexico or wherever it is they are, um, and yeah, with like a grenade or a bunch of grenades or something. And it just so happens that the one pillar on somebody's home that they didn't get blown up has the painting <laughs> that they, in theory, could have used the code on. But that's a great example of a transition that really confused me. What they tried to do is have it so you look at the painting and then you see them kind of driving towards the same building. But they literally just copied and pasted the same image and just sort of like rotated <laughs> it slightly. Like they didn't do a different angle of the same building in the painting and say, right, they're arriving in now. It's just the same thing in the next panel, except now there's a car. It's like, that is so weird. But yeah, okay. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. We, we forgot. I forgot the... Sorry, I'm going down on my list of funnies. We forgot the best one-liner. And it's when Cardenas turns to Patrick and says, don't you know pen- penguins can't fly? <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> there uh, is one small bit of character development that I think we've kind of all gone over. The um, the red-haired lady cuts a, a growing out of her arm spike, which is a big symptom that something is wrong. And that magically yes, stops yeah. all of the problems she's ever going to have. But that yeah. was... But that was also done really quickly. Like, it was... I mean, it was very spur of the moment. Like, I, I, again, because we didn't get much character development with these characters, it felt very strange. Because mm. she just looked at her arm going, ah! and gets a cleaver and chops her horn off. That's you know, how you do it, isn't it? Just ma- massively rapid surgery. <laughs> I'm sure a meat cleaver just do bone that and get one swift <laughs> shot. Yeah, I played yeah. one center. It works. It's convenient, isn't it? Uh, so, yes, he's still infected by... Oh, I guess... My assumption is you just cut it out and she's still infected by this point, but clearly as we get on to, that's not, that's not a thing. And now, reading the file, Operator's Notebook from Resident Evil Dead Aim, Disco Alexia Petrozeg Now, who you can follow on Twitter at DiscoAlexia1. June 16th, 1997. One month has passed since I was dispatched here. I am astounded at the sloppy supervision of this umbrella waste disposal facility. It's not surprising that this accident happened. I know that if I must die, I want to die as a human. June 24th, 1997 The supervisor here called Morpheus is so annoying. He drives me nuts. He must pay more attention to the worker health management and biological weapons than anyone I have ever met. This facility belongs to Umbrella, but he obviously doesn't think so. I have no idea how long I have been here. I don't want to stay in this facility, but I can't move. My body, it, it won't move. Issue number three, then. So we're halfway there already. Uh, man, again, I don't remember what was what. Um, but now they're kind of exp- in, in not Alaska, the other one. In fire, they're explain- exploring a lab. And uh, meanwhile, in ice, they've been kidnapped. Stuff's going on. Steve, actually, I'm going to start with you because you know the story, but you've read it more than I have. No, the on? story Tell us about is a stretch. Yeah. 
so it's uh, my first note is it's a lot uglier. Like the budget seems to have gone. Like the quality of the uh, the artwork ha- has taken a nosedive, except for one bit in the uh, the South American side of things. We now have a tyrant or some form of knockoff tyrant. Mm. Unfortunately. Our Charlie team compatriots have uh, been prepared and brought a rocket launcher, so it, it just gets insta-killed fundamentally. Gets knocked down once, but then they just gets back up and rockets. Yeah, it's done and dusted. In Nebraska, though, um, we have returning school child who became G-Virus mm. mutant, who became normal human, has aged 20 years in the space of God knows when this is set. I'm assuming still 98. Uh, has become an evil, cliched scientist man, complete with cybernetic components. Torturing Patrick Brady and uh, Cardenas, mm. so it's it's all kicking off. However, my last note is just biohazard cactuses, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit. Eh. Uh, I'm exactly with you. My last note, all in capitals, is biohazard cactus crop circle. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, this is a wild one, absolutely. I don't hate, um, and we'll talk about, I'm going to save this for characters and it'll probably come back up, but I don't hate that they've taken some of the weird stories from you know, Resident Evil, the official comic magazine that we already covered, and turned them into something by turning that child. We had a lot to say about that story last time because it was so weird as part of the anthology as like a villain origin story, and they've turned it into something, although yes, it is weird that he's suddenly older and half robot and he's got like... The guys that came to pick him up to employ him for Umbrella are now sort of like his left and right hand or whatever, which is ironic because one of them loses a hand. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's really odd. I know the whole point was that they were meant to check out both Umbrella labs. But what this amounts to in Fire is that they basically went there to watch a video of the lab in Alaska and go, oh no, we can't go save our friends. And then they blow up the lab, I suppose. Um, I agree, the tyrant looks okay. But yes, I was I was cackling at this crop circle made of cactuses in the shape of the biohazard symbol. I was like, wow, that how on the nose could you possibly be? <laughs> um, Sherwin, how did you feel about issue three? Uh, I mean, obviously you're going to echo a whole bunch of stuff. What was, I think, spectacularly, <clears throat> if, you hadn't, if you hadn't lost hope for this uh, series by now, the fact of how... Just how much they threw away the tyrant. Like, here's a tyrant. Oh, it's cool. It's here for two paints. Oh, it's blown up. Great. But it's almost to the point where when I first read it, I'm like, okay, so the tyrant's going to get up because the whole point is they just killed it so easily. Oh, no, it's just Mm. dead. Oh, okay. Good times. Yep. Um, I mean, a couple of things. It was nice to understand, and Steve will get this reference, what happened to Doc Ockerville uh, after G1 Transformers. (laughs) Uh, that was yeah, good. No, you're right. That, that was good to know what happened to him in later years. Um, I quite like the way they just casually invent a new virus because, you know, as you do, I guess, if Resident Evil is your thing, yes. you want to invent Gen, you know, Gen X's version of, uh, of the X virus. Um, I think, uh, there is, a, I do have a note here, which is why do the scientists working in the lab look like they're working in a cafeteria? Uh, they do. <laughs> they're basically like chefs. Uh, that's an interesting one. Um, I mean, the, the real the real issue is, and you said what you guys have talked about. Like the whole thing at this point, this is where it like it, it was already kind of like the pacing is already insanely off for the whole series anyway. Like right from the 
the double intro kind of massive weight of expedition exposition and just badly done first issue to the just off the wall craziness that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and why we're splitting up the teams all the other craziness of of the second issue this one it's so obvious that this thing is going so fast it's flying off the rails everywhere the pacing is just it's going so fast that the story is just all over the show like nothing makes sense nothing is happening in any sensible way whatsoever and it's just kind of just this raw mess of just random images thrown together at this point um Mm. this is probably the worst episode worst issue i think um probably (laughs) it's tough call really isn't it it's tough call um james how do you feel about issue three yeah, I just want to go back to the cactuses. Uh, yeah. Cactus. Um, it's it's just I, my note here is you have the smartest minds of Umbrella and then kept the antidote in a cactus in the middle of a desert that anyone could have just sliced open. Yeah, I think that's you issue know. four technically. Is it when they get that? But still, either way. Oh, was it? Was yeah. Sure. Oh, I just oh the cactuses, that man. Yeah, and the fact like I how did they get there? Like I thought they got there by car. And then yeah. suddenly there's a helicopter? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good point. I but Amidst um, amidst the stream of just whatever this series was, I didn't yeah. even really notice that, but you make a great point. There was just, they were, they were just like, literally, it was like, Arnie, get to the chopper. Poop, put, uh, the helicopter appears. Can, so I, can I just right. throw a question out here? Um, yeah. How far away is South America, generic South American location, from Nebraska, because I can't help but feel a one long... helicopter ride isn't going to come. That is literally what I've got there. Yeah. It's about you know three point five thousand miles away in a helicopter. <laughs> Presumably, that helicopter was really powerful in order to take them there with all the fuel already on board. You know, because that is, <laughs> and they managed to do it in no time at all as well. And knowing these guys, they probably punched through the earth to get there. You know? <laughs> they went all the way around instead, just to prove. A yeah, point. I did to uh, so speak. Other pos- I'm trying to think of one positive per issue. Other positive was that we got to see liquors, um, and there was a mention of um, there was a mention of them being used as literally being controlled, like bodyguards, and so yeah. uh, so was everything else, right? And I thought that's interesting because that's literally what like the founders of Umbrella have been trying to do. What's yeah. also fun about that is, and and this goes back to issue one, is that they talk about like the lions and the elephants and stuff. This is before Outbreak File Two, which does all that, and controlled liquors is kind of everything in Resident Evil Five when you get the liquor betas from Tricell. So this did Resident Evil Five nine years in advance. Oh, interesting. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I just uh, yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, and also. Also, uh, I was going to talk about uh, earlier on. Well, I mentioned it earlier on, sorry. But um, that's also something that Neil Blomkamp was going to try and do for the Xenomorphs in the new movie that he was going to make in Alien 5 before mm. Ridley Scott put his foot on it. Um, but I, it's just cool because they did it first, basically. Because even though Hunters are like pretty much up there in terms of xenomorphs like for me if like in terms of references lickers yeah. also have like very similar traits oh absolutely um and yeah it's just cool as well as um recently there was i want to say recently the past six seven years there was a, a comic called aliens fire and stone 
um, Aliens vs. Predator, Fire and Stone. Hmm. And this has had a similar... And it has a kind of similar kind of story as well. Uh, but yeah, that's the only Alien reference you'll get in this, this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's that was a cool bit. But the rest of it was tosh. Like, it, hmm. it didn't... It like Is it this one where... Uh, <laughs> another funny bit was where... Uh, is, is this the one where Quan finds the surveillance helicopter randomly? As well? the, tiny, the tiny miniature one. Yeah, the little uh, tiny I, surveillance I think that is the beginning of issue four. Oh, okay. This is where I'm getting messed up then. I should probably... Yeah. I, should, <laughs> <laughs> I should probably mark these up then. I'll wait for that. I'll I wait think for that for my issue. issue three, what makes... If I remember rightly, issue three sort of like closing moment is to sort of zoom out and see the cactuses that form the biohazard. Oh, yeah. Like that's the big dun, dun, dun as if it's meant to mean anything. It's a biohazard symbol. Like, so what? Like some idiot... Just you know, planted a bunch of characters in a shape. Like, what did he do? Like, what does this mean? <laughs> it was, it was also funny because they, like, they they did the thing that, but they've been doing through the other three issues. Well, the other two issues, which was just like randomly say exposition, like, oh, it's making a pattern. What do you mean? How do you see these are huge cacti? We know how big cacti get. Yeah. They get freaking so big. There's no way you'd be able to you tell us a pattern. Mm-hmm. Like you know, unless you get into your miraculously respawning helicopter and go up and go see it, you know. But yeah, I <laughs> uh, got not not much more because this this is it. Like issue two, three, and four, kind of as you can tell for me, have Blur. kind of blurred and merged into one. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in terms of not seeing things, it's also worth mentioning by that sort of this point in those letters to the writers and stuff. People are like, I really love the gore and the you know the wild this and that monstrous transformation all this and i'm like what i'm not seeing that in this comic <laughs> like you literally you both said about the liquors and about the tyrant especially it's like it looks cool for a moment and then it dies and that's it like there's no terror related to it there's nothing even particularly that gory about it, it just kind of explodes and it's gone like, i feel like i'm reading a different comic to these people were 20 years ago <laughs> cool. i'm cynical but if they I'll weren't written that. by the staff Maybe they are. Because some of them are literally just like, here's a recap of the story. Yeah, they are the the worst type of circle jerk ever. There's no other way. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think um, I think what they were trying to do is they were trying to do the fastest, uh, the star speed run. Yeah, yeah. Any percent we get to the end. Yeah, any percent like four issues. Which is funny because that was me reading them. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, speaking of quickly getting to the end, uh, we are now on the final issue, issue number four. Um, and at this point, yes, we have our tiny mini surveillance of a helicopter that gets blown in through Dexter Whitlam, the villain of the story's window. <laughs> Page three of issue four, and it's exploded in half, by the way. I just want to point out. Um, so, yes, this is the sort of conclusion to the story. Dexter goes down, not particularly fighting. Um, uh, instead we have the group kind of fall apart a little bit because we have the mole stuff and we have some transformation because of the uh, the members of Charlie's team that were kidnapped have actually been injected with the X virus see I know the story of issue 4 at least Showen how did you feel about issue 4 yeah it's a thing isn't it <laughs> it's <sighs> it's got really jarring locations again still like the that's just a. It's basically a continuing. Continu- excuse me, teeth back in show. It's basically continuing the really terrible, terrible themes that we've seen throughout the rest of it. It's mm. it's got 
terrible pacing, it's got the jarring locations, it's got the shoddy artwork, it's you know, it's got a whole bunch of you know, the speed of which you can't really tell what the hell's going on a lot of the time or what's you know, you have anytime you're reading something you have to go, hang on a minute, what just happened? And flick backwards a few pages to see if you missed something, there was oh no I didn't, it's just really ambi- you know, it's really ambiguous. Like that stuff is just what it is. And then the worst part is I think it's kind of got like a just a really crap finale and then a feels bad ending. <laughs> like not to skip forward for you guys because I'm sure you want to talk a little bit more about it, but there's just nothing redeemable about it. Except for the part, yeah, you've got a really feel bad feel bad ending and a poor finale, and then it gets to the last page and then there's people going, Oh my god guys, I love your comic so much. Oh it's amazing <laughs> and I'm just like this is terrible. Like please stop. <laughs> Just stop. Oh man, yeah. Do you know? Right, I'm going to do some positives on this one. Uh, I will hand it to them. The idea of hiding a vial, an antidote vial, inside of a cactus is inventive. It's inventive nonsense, of course, but it's inventive. I've never seen anything like that before. Just it's stupid, but like, uh, do you know what? Okay, so that's an idea that you had, and also, and this might maybe more speaking in hindsight. But it is kind of fun that the final boss of the comic is like members of the team fighting each other. Um, because when that happens in Resident Evil, usually it's sort of like a sub-boss. Like, just things that I can think of. Steve in Code Veronica gets turned. And there's, what the hell's his name? Pablo or something in Re- Revelations 2 in the shack. Um, he gets turned. He's around. Pedro boss, and Neil. He, Pedro. And Neil as well. Neil definitely counts. Again, he's just definitely like a sub-boss, though. He's not the final boss. Um, it makes a change from the nut job scientists that kind of inject themselves because they think they're so clever to actually have like members of the team get infected and that's the final showdown. And that was kind of nice, but it is more of the same hard-to-follow action, especially at this point, absolutely, I agree, that even the silhouettes of the characters start melting into each other and I don't really know what was what. And the story was just so paper-thin that I don't really exactly remember how it finished, like who lived, who died... All I know is that the mole thing kind of went nowhere. You kind of found out that it was Jesse, even though it was extremely obvious. And Fields, I guess, yeah, her uh, macheteing the horn off of her arm, I guess cured her because it never comes back up again. That's it. It's just okay now, I guess. It's not like she transformed for another reason or anything like that. It wasn't like a big surprise ending in that sense, a quote-unquote surprise ending. It just goes nowhere. And then, yeah. Sad ending with uh, Umbrella being like, ha this was all part of our plan. I promise this is a setup for a sequel series, so we'll just slide this in in one panel. Yeah, there's some stuff. I mean, I said I was going to say some good stuff, but then it just kind of started meandering into, no, do you know what? It wasn't that great. It's not that great. It's definitely not that great. It had a couple of bits in this that were amusing, like the other ones, like Whit- Whitlam exploding in half is a great panel in its own way. Uh, and a couple of the surprises in terms of where the plot went, but most of the plot just went absolutely nowhere. Um, Steve, how did you feel about issue four? Pretty much the same as everybody else, unfortunately. I feel bad that we, like, you know, when it comes to, like, literary works based around Resident Evil, for example, like the S.D. Perry stuff, I think we got we went really in-depth, enjoyed it, and we actually always had issues and foibles, but these just, they have such a malaise of generic action filler over and over and over again that it kind of all blurs together. Like, you know, it's novel that the main principal villain of the novel dies in page two, like, of of the final book, or, yeah, the final comic, rather. Yeah. 
But then it literally is just like, okay, and now Cardenas and Brady are going to become knockoff Hulks. Uh, what yeah. do we do? And a you know a mass shifting teleporting helicopter appears with the colleagues and the, the antidote just in time, you know, to save Quan and the rest before it all goes horribly wrong. It's it's got the nuggets and the ideas of potentially being an interesting story somehow if they like trim out as much of the Saturday morning crap as possible. But unfortunately, <laughs> we are so far past that point of no return, right in page two of issue one, with you know Patrick Brady and his giant laser gun. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I- I'm going to be honest, Like some of the action stuff is okay, but uh, yeah, it-, it damaged me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, James, to ramp us up before we move on to talking about some extra bits and pieces, how did you feel about issue four? Beauty, a wrecked surveillance helicopter, must be the last of the season. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's what was going through my head in that panel. Right? Was 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 Sid the Sloth eating the daffodil? <laughs> like, the entire time. Right? Because that's where my brain... Like, Steve, I had been broken. This comic had broken me at this point. And I couldn't think, I couldn't be serious, like, as I was watching it. Like, I think shortly after that, you know, the lab explodes, right? Everybody dies in the lab, by the way, except our heroes. However, where our heroes were sitting was was exploded. Like, their chairs were completely obliterated. But (laughs) the heroes were okay. Yeah. Obviously. Like, for some reason. Um... (laughs) <laughs> you know, even even Resident Evil, even the original Resident Evil Evil games kind of fade to black. You yeah. know, <laughs> you know, but no, it's just it happened. You know, um, yeah, it's just it was just such a mess. Um, it was like I agree with you, Sai. I do like the idea. There's a like, and again, Steve said as well that there are a lot of there is a lot of potential here for a good story. Like, and it is cool to have the, uh, you know, half your team, well, a third of your team turn against you um, through no fault of their own. Mm. That would have been a really sad, dark thing to put in a comic, right? But the comic was so cheesy and so blasé. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that you couldn't emotionally get invested. Like, so it didn't really matter. Like that they, I, as I, I was reading, I don't normally do this. I, I'm a avid comic book reader, and I was reading these panels, and my face was stony. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, "Where's the comedy? Give mm-hmm. me the laughs, right? Because you can't make it sad now. Like because yeah. the whole, the whole freaking thing Most has of been it a was joke. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't do that. Like it's, it's, I, yeah. Again, I had no connections to the characters, and I do believe, by the way, that there is a, like, there is a panel where. She shows that she's still infected, by the way. Like, she's still got a green arm. Right, um, okay. But mm, I, that's, the, that's, like, the only reference, yeah. Um, I think... I, I, are, is there a continuations from this? I don't think so. Okay. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure no. <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure, like, that. whoever that operative was right at the end was probably thinking that Raquel was going to be, like, the, you know, the, the bad guy. Um, in the next comics, maybe there's going to be like a long term thing, um, but uh, yeah, that didn't happen. I was I was expecting there to be a um, a oh, sorry guys, there's going to be another one, an alien esque Rez- <laughs> Resi esque ending where you think it's going to be the end, but you mm-hmm. know, um, there's always a at least 
you know, the tyrant was on the helicopter the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> There's always like at least two or three, you know, cop, like cop outs in a way, and I mean that in the best way because I love that kind of way mm-hmm. where it kind of puts you into a false sense of security, and then you look at the timeline of the movie, and there's still 20 minutes to go, and you're like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, and the same with the gaming. You know, this the game keeps going. You think, what? You know, we didn't get any of that with this. We got the explode. We got exploded. Whitlam, who, by the way, I think we praised that like little short story of his quite well, didn't we? I yeah, think we I remember it was, liking it. It was certainly interesting. I think most of us liked it, and if we didn't, yeah. it was like, well, it stands out because it's interesting and different. Yeah, and like that was a disservice to him. Like this comic, yeah, blow him up because yeah, because he was I I. Re- if you if you want to learn more about Whitlam, guys, go go read the original like volume the, the original the original collection before the one before this one, right? Because the Whitlam story is actually really cool, but then they just blow him up in this one. Now I don't want to like be picky or you know angry or upset, but in this case, right, he injected himself with a G virus last time we saw him. Now mm. I know they quote unquote cured him, and I know that Sherry's regenerative powers wouldn't be known to the public yet, but you'd have thought something would happen other than get split in half and die. Yeah. Like, mm. I think it was forgotten. Opportunity was forgotten. wasted. Yeah, they just used the name, didn't they? Evil Dr. Yeah. Whitlam. I mean, he's aged 20 years in what appears to be a month. <laughs> so. I, I, bet they, I bet you they had a. This, this is how. I, when bad writing like this is done, I expect uh, there was like a list of names. You need to include this guy. He's evil, by the way. This guy, he's evil. This guy, good guy, good guy, good guy. You know, these yeah. are just lists. You know, they're like, now write a story. And by the way, these are the things we can mention in the story. Like, these are the things that Capcom has mentioned we can say. So you it's, know. it's an AI-driven story before AI-driven stories were a thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, AI was built by human brains. So... <laughs> We've got yeah, to... A grind of... I, I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't like this fourth story. It was bad. Um it didn't it didn't drag me back in. It was disappointing, just like the the past I think as I say the past two issues, but the first one didn't feel like an issue of a comic. I just felt like mm-hmm. I was reading uh a prologue. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. Uh cool, you're hitting a lot of points with characters there, so that's nice because we're gonna move on now to talk about the characters and about the writing in general, I guess we can sort of include this all in together, how we felt about any of the particular characters. Because we haven't talked about them too much, and maybe that's because people don't feel like there wasn't a lot there. I'm not just saying that I disagree necessarily. Um, but, you know, it's worth getting on them a little bit because there's some there's some stuff, I suppose. Like, the bickering between some of the characters is basically like anything out of a military, a sci-fi military film at the time. Like some of them, these these two don't get along. So for some reason, so they argue like that's immediate from issue one. In issue two, this character has a crush on someone, and this they actually have a crush on someone else. Like everything else in the story goes absolutely nowhere, uh, especially because <laughs> one of them dies. It's sort of related to that love triangle. So I guess we're meant to care more. But as you say, the tone was so all over the place. How could you care? Um, but yeah, there's there is some stuff to get into with. Uh, some of the characters and their backstory, if anyone has any particular notes about that. Uh, James, any notes on the, the characters and the, how they were written? Quan looks like Gambit. Yeah, 100%? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. could see a court case. <laughs> 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 like, legit, like, he could just get cards out and he'd be Gambit. Like, he, he looks... 
it's a cool character design, like, but Gambit's already been, always already been there. super cool. So Gambit's yeah. already there. So <laughs> yeah, and this was um, this was created. The art was done by uh, reading the back of it was done by somebody who did Superman. So this was also potentially yes a legal problem, <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah, that was that was very interesting. Um, I think out of all of the characters, in terms to look at them. I think Quan Williamson was the most interesting to look at. Patrick was boring. Mm-hmm. Um, like, literally, that guy did nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's he's the guy that they said, he just knows what Umbrella's up to whenever, right? Yeah. and yeah. But he literally did nothing. And then, for some reason, Cardenas is like, oh, I really like him. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, guess I'll die. I like boring men. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny about Patrick is that he's the guy who comes back, and I didn't expect him to do this, but he's the guy from the other comics that they brought back to join Stars. And you're right, he just like he does nothing. He's like fairly, yeah. barely serves a purpose whatsoever, other than to get infected by the end. Yeah, he gets so, tripped up by a penguin. That's right. That's his claim like, to fame. Yeah, and Falcon is, you know, as you said, side like. Falcon is just the lead action hero. He's a toy. He's an action yeah. figure. Yeah, literally. It could be the, the leader of the Gorgonites, you know. I mean, he didn't have much of a choice when his mother names him Falcon. Like, he's got one job he can go for, really. <laughs> um, Speaking of... People... Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't going to say much more, to be honest. But, like, then there was the punk, you know... And he that was his name? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only know that because it's written in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he like there was a bit where I actually I didn't peg, by the way, that he was a bad guy. Right. <laughs> so it was very weird. I think it's because at that point I've been treating it like it was dumb. Right. So I wasn't really taking it seriously. So when it got to the point where he where Raquel's in the helicopter and turns to well, is on the radio to Falcon. By the way, I don't know how that conversation happened without Jesse hearing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Raquel turns to Falcon and says, "I think Jesse's double agent, bro." You know, because he just spilled half of the the the, the virus. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the antidote. You know, and I was like, "Wow, that's a huge leap." Like he just came out of a war zone. I don't understand <laughs> what's happening. You know, and then it, yeah, it actually was true. And then he was like, "Ah, oh, it was me all along. I was trying, but you guys are so fast and so strong, and mm, I want to kiss you all." You know? <laughs> Speaking of, but, uh, you said about Falcon's mother. It's some of the other ones for me. That Rose's mother apparently dies in a story in the collected edition of comics. I looked this up. I don't know what that is, and I can't find it. We definitely didn't read a story about Rose's mother, did we, Cardenas? No. Is it not? I, the, is it Emmy's Diner or is it the um, Ibis Island knockoff one? No, I'm not sure. I looked up the story name that it referenced and I couldn't find it. And so maybe I'm being an idiot, but I was like, uh, okay. But yeah, um, yeah. In terms of the backstories, though, you mentioned Jesse and Steve. This might have been what you were alluding to earlier. I'm not sure. It's either it's either ironic or brilliant writing that Jesse's backstory basically he had the ultimatum between. Uh, going away for life or whatever or joining the stars and what's funny about that is that's exactly how Umbrella handle UBCS soldiers they're like you're on death row so you're either going to die or you get to live and join you have to join our our private army I was like there's some irony that stars are doing exactly the same thing in these comics that Umbrella are in aren't they Um, other than that yeah Quan the most interesting character I think design wise I sort of hate it because it is just Gambit I'm like really uh, I also hate it because, like as I've alluded to at the beginning, 
immediately he says Sheila and Struth just to make sure that you get it. He's wearing a hat as well. Just make sure guys, well, whatever he's wearing, it's like big long brown coat. He's Australian. Uh, but he's the MVP of the whole thing. Everyone else kind of sucks, does nothing, gets in trouble. He like has to stand up and do stuff by himself. He winds up killing the main villain. Like easily, despite being a caricature, he's the one that has the most effect on the quote unquote story. Uh, Steve, how did you feel about the characters? I mean, it, calling them characters also feels a bit characters, generous, really. <laughs> like they're, they're archetypes, they're caricatures. Uh, you know, Patrick Brady looks nothing like his original self, for example. It's yeah. I, honestly, the more and more I look into this, the more and more it annoys me because you look at the original stars, and yes, they could be like considered a bit silly with their color coded outfits, but they had like reasonable skills. And you know talents to bring to a police unit, as opposed to I can sense G virus stuff. I'm good with machines. That's great, Donatello, by the way. You know, <laughs> or uh, what is it? Oh, I can track stuff. I have a big ray gun. I look like Sergeant Apone mixed with that guy from Halo whose name escapes me. Um, Sergeant Johnson. <laughs> Sergeant Johnson. And then, you know, a kid who's apparently lived through the film of war games and decided to become. <laughs> it's, just, it's just dross, really. Like, yeah. The, again, it, it, I suppose comic book makes sense, but even the X-Men in the earliest iterations were very developed and nuanced characters eventually over the force of like a handful of issues. Uh, not so much here. We've got Jesse who's like, you know, pretty much like slipping, letting slip at least once per comic about how he's going to backstab the team in some way or form. A, a very subtle wink, wink, nod. Uh, yeah, no, I, I really did not feel anything. And as for the villains... They were either some generic dude in the lab coat going, you can't stop us, <laughs> or Dexter Whitlam, who's gone from being, you know, as aged up and now is also, <laughs> I have the X virus, mustache twirl. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry that they're the blandest, most generic thing I think we've ever seen on the podcast. <laughs> cool. Uh, Sherwin, any thoughts on the caricatures beyond that? I mean, I feel. It's quite comical you just call them caricatures. Uh, yeah, that, feel, was, that was intentional. Oh, I, I, I appreciate that. I feel vindicated from what I said at the start of the episode. But um, <laughs> I think this thing contains so many Chekhov's guns that it's like Chekhov's arsenal. Like, there's just so <laughs> many completely like, oh, this thing's happening. Oh, here's a thing. Here's a thing. Here's a thing. This character does this. This character does this. This is this. None of it comes to anywhere. It's like mm. considering all of the burden it has of how much it's tr- how much work it's doing to try and tell a story, introduce a whole bunch of characters, you know, create three different settings to what's going on, try and you know build a backstory of the X virus, the bad guys, the walrus, the penguin, all of these important <laughs> questions that we need to have the answers to, and it is still and its pacing is awful. And it's still wasting time with so many pointless bits of storytelling that you genuinely have to ask, and I do mean this with all due respect to the people who made it, I really do. Are you like 15? Like, is this, you've done your homework on the bus on the way to school or something? Because it's just bad. It's like, I, I genuinely struggle reading this to understand that these people were professionals in their industry. It's literally that bad in terms of like the dead ends, the pointless story details. It's like I, I can't think of anything, and you know, any anybody would have like employed these guys to actually write a story for anything. 
this does actually does genuinely make some of the Resident Evil movies seem good. Um, so yeah, you loved it, yeah. Well, I, Joe, <laughs> the thing I kind of found with this is I did genuinely find myself at several stages while reading, thinking, would I rather be reading this or watching the Resident Evil stage show? And that was a <laughs> tough question, but I do fondly look back to that period where we recorded the episode of the Resident Evil stage show, so I think I'd rather watch the stage show than read this. <laughs> it's a very good point, because at this point, I did have the header of BOWs, but I just can't be bothered to talk about it anymore. Like I feel like we've run it into the ground a little bit. I'll go open the floor up to anyone that does have any notes on the monsters that we saw. Uh, we mentioned the liquor, which is there for like a panel, which is disappointing. I mean, and just play Alter Beast, Si. Like, yeah. Or stick a tire in it. it. To go back exactly to what you guys were saying right at the beginning when we were talking about art style and how it just got lazier and lazier, is that final battle for all of the compliments that I had about it being like, oh, it's against your own teammates. They all look like Domo. They're just like brown yeah. shapes. They're just like... <laughs> Absolutely no actual design has gone into that. It's interesting yeah. you're saying about the silhouettes because this is where it really goes off. Like, oh, really, absolutely, really yeah. goes off. The silhouettes by this end, it's just like Play-Doh. It's just terrible. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on BOWs? Feel free to chuck them in now. I'll just, <laughs> just leave it open. Uh, I think I think I've said enough about them, to be honest. Yeah, Captain, I think we covered Captain them as Warrusher well. Is can, can we have a moment of appreciation for the Penguin again? Because that was the best thing. Yeah. Entire thing. Couldn't, so, yeah. Oh, I no. Actually, no. I have one more thing to add. It was the confused roar. <laughs> confused roar. roar. From, <laughs> when the helicopter came in, there was a roar with a question mark. With a question mark for some reason, as if a monster could ask a question while it was roaring for some reason. So, <laughs> here's a question for you, right, James? Like, what are monsters meant to be? Scary. It is right? Meant to be terrifying. Were any of them ever in these <laughs> comics at any point? Um I I mean No. What about <laughs> fat fat penguin in the distance? It was scary oh, in his own way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like if you yeah, if you're looking at it that like that, like that penguin was scary as heck. <laughs> Like okay, I'm you. It, that does kind of look menacing, really. No, when I saw it at first, I was like, "This is this looks like a like some kind of it." Do you know if anyone's seen the new D and D movie? It looked like I thought, "Oh, Thembachod is coming." Mm-hmm. You know, the, the big fat dragon was coming. You know, and but no, it was actually just an emperor penguin. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but, <laughs> and I'll throw I in. Gonna, sorry, go on. I'll go for it. I was going to say I'll throw in. I'm not sure the elephant on fire at the start was actually. A zombie elephant. I think it might literally have just been an elephant they set on fire. There is no... (laughs) It is an elephant, yeah. There is absolutely no reason to believe that it's infected, is it? The way it's drawn. It's drawn incredibly realistically as well, all things considered. It's got the best bit of art in the game. Yeah, it it looks like a Mastodon artwork or something. This is a heavy metal album cover waiting to happen. Uh, So basically what I'm saying is look for that in store soon when I've finished writing it. That's going to be the artwork. Um... So, the final question I asked for the last time we did Comic Club, uh, I'm going to ask again, which was after reading this, thinking about the context at the time, if you had read it when it came out, how would you have felt about it? Would you have wanted more of it? Uh, James, how, how would you have felt about this if you were a Resident Evil fan in 2000, considering the context of the games that had come out at this point? Mm-hmm. Would, this have, uh, would this have tickled your pickle? 
<laughs> um, wow, that's a great question because this came out a year, just a year before Resident Evil the movie did. Yes, and yeah. I loved that movie. Like when it first came out, I absolutely adored it because I knew nothing about Resident Evil. Yeah. Right, and like it, it had Milojovic in it, who I absolutely adore, and showed Rodriguez in it, who I love even more. Like it had that cool, you know, hallway scene, right? But this isn't the Resident Evil podcast. Go watch that one. Go listen to that one if you want to. But like, I did love that movie. So I think if I saw these comics, especially yeah, around, that's fair. maybe if I was waiting a year. And maybe I watch... Okay, here's a scenario for you. I just watched the movie. Oh, I want more Resident Evil, but I don't really want to play the game because it's too scary and I'm only 15 years old. You know, so... Mm-hmm. Um, hey, I spot yeah, this on a shelf. Let, let me see if I can... You know, I would definitely pick this up. I go, oh, Resident Evil comic. And it's not mm-hmm. that big either. Yeah, I'd definitely pick it up. And I think I would enjoy it too. But I'm also, fif- I'm also 15 years old. And as Sherwin <laughs> has said, it was written by 15-year-olds. For 15-year-olds. So by 15-year-olds, for 15-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it definitely would have appealed to my, I think. Yeah, to me, I think. Uh, Steve, same question, really. Would you have, If you'd have read this at the time, would you? how would you have felt about it? You know, I don't want to like you know big up fourteen year old Steve, but I think he had at least a little bit of quality control about it. You know, <laughs> a little bit of nous. Um I I don't think I would have liked it. Like the same reasons it bugs me today are, are things that generally bug me about any media that does the same kind of thing. It's uh, yeah, no, I don't think I don't think fourteen year old Steve's buying this. Like he's a big Resident Evil fan, but he was always like you know action figures maybe. Uh, it mm-hmm. took a lot to get the novels back when I was at college, so. Mm. Mm, probably not yeah that's fair I'm kind of in agreement I like you James even though I was a Resident Evil fan but I was also quite young I was I enjoyed the movie I was very aware of its flaws but uh, and how disconnected it was and it was just kind of using iconography but there were very definitely aspects of it that I enjoyed this feels like that but really drilled down into nothing where it's just like we're using the word stars and here's a liquor for a panel and, and then a tyrant dies I would I think I feel like I'm like you Steve I hope I would have looked at this and gone this has really got nothing to do with anything that I like about Resident Evil really, like realistically by issue 2 where you're fighting giant muscle bound men with whale heads and wal- walrus heads we haven't we haven't gone in on that hard enough a walrus man uh, I would have been like yeah what what is this um, Showing for you, same question. How would you have felt at the time? Would you have you enjoyed this at all? I'm pretty sure I know where this is going. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it's fairly obvious from what I said. I mean, I was a little bit older than you guys. Uh, maybe not Steve, because you're ancient, as ancient as I am. But I would have mostly <laughs> sat there and got. Yeah, I've got more interesting things to do with life, like sleep, um, or you know. <laughs> just drink myself unconscious or whatever it was I was doing then. No, I, I can't honestly imagine that this would have been a good thing. Um, no. Completely fair. Okay, well, that is Resident Evil Fire and Ice. Just to uh, point out, because it was kind of asked if this is followed on from, in terms of Wildstorm's output, there's two more things to cover. The next, well, both of them... One of them is Code Veronica, basically, but it's not even written... Well, it is written by Wildstorm, but the art isn't. It's the Chinese manhwa that was republished by Wildstorm. And then there is just a series called Resident Evil, which was to tie into Resident Evil 5. So unless they also try and tie that into their previous comics, I very much doubt that these are connected in a way. I feel like this is the end of their own... uh, 
little stories that they were telling. But I guess time will tell when we do dig into those two more episodes of Comic Club. But nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our patrons, and our listeners. Join the first Daytoy Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprayPod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for as little as $1 a month. On some more positive notes, in our next episode, we brave the wild anthology of Raccoon City as we finally cover the fan favourite spin-off game. It's a highly requested episode indeed. It's Resident Evil Outbreak. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Siniac underscore one, two, three. Steve at FB. Steve was taken. James is at Moist Owl at OFF. And Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. First Zelda game I ever played, the original Link's Awakening. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Great game, though. You had a green hat and you killed things with a sword. I didn't have a green hat. It was on the Game Boy. I had a <laughs> grey hat. No, you def- had you definitely everything. had a green hat if it was on the Game Boy. If it was the original one, everything was green. Just green on green <laughs> yes, violence <yes>. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> green on green violence. Yes. <laughs> so that is the first day's break server in a nutshell with the amount of people with green in their name. <laughs> green on green violence. Yeah, when we start talking about food, it's green on green violence. <laughs> yeah, 100%.